0: be reading about the temptation of Jesus. So here is Matthew chapter 4. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, People do not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor, all this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. And now, verse 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Amen.
1: As a teacher, um, I to do different things with uh, my students to see if I get people to Sometimes in here I come and I see different parts of the auditorium. It gives me a chance to see different uh, perspectives of our worship uh, experience. Um, but I remember one day coming into a class and I started teaching from the side. Well... That was great for some people and very uncomfortable for others. But by teaching from the side, it allowed me to get to know some people and see some people I don't normally see. You know, from up there, you guys are kind of... But by coming out, I had a chance to come in contact with different people. And it is kind of a, a little bit of a frustrating experience in a church in that... When I'm over there and you're way in the back, you can come in and you can leave and I never saw you. But I want you to understand that we have deacons in our church. We have ministers in our church. We have brothers and sisters just within the church that want to relate to everybody in here. We really are serious about becoming and being a family of God. And even though you may not get touched every week, by somebody, it's not because we don't care. It's just it's hard to get a, my arms all the, their arms all the way around you. Because there are people here do, who do want to relate to you. And yes, that is this microphone probably making noise, and it's basically saying get somewhere and quit moving around. And um, so I just uh, want to encourage you today to to know that the the church does care now. There are some interesting things that happened in this day, and for those of you who think I'm changing my personality because I'm wearing glasses with little red tips, it's because these are my wife's glasses. Um, my glasses managed to stay at home this morning, and I won't talk about whose responsibility that was. I may want to switch and think that might be the wife's discretion here. Uh, equipment is always very helpful, but sometimes causes uh, some challenges. And so you just kind of go on and don't let it eat you alive and move straight on. Today, if you'll notice the sermon title, it's a little different. Um, the sermon title is The Devil Made Me Do It. Now, the truth of the matter is that's poor theology. But I did want for us to at least look at this and to consider something. When I was young, uh, I remember there was a comedian uh, named Flip Wilson. And he was kind of a funny guy, but what he did was he would come on and he talked about a lady named Geraldine. Now, Flip Wilson was a black comedian. And uh, his uh, comedy sometime was probably not as good as it must be or should have been. But the, the comedy on Geraldine was always interesting to me because even though he lacks some theological understanding in saying the devil made me do it. There still is some reality of the fact that the devil does influence our lives. He challenges us. And that's why we read the scripture that we read a few moments ago. But the devil made me do it. One of the the routines I remember that Flip Wilson used to do is he would talk about a lady who had gone out, Geraldine, was walking down the street and she saw this dress. And she walked by it and came back to it and walked by it and came back to it, even though she had already bought two other dresses that same week. Finally, she bought the dress and took it home and she knew what her husband was going to say as soon as he saw the dress. And so the first thing she started doing was talking about how beautiful the dress was. And then ultimately she said, the devil made me do it. Well, it was kind of funny because everyone knew uh, the devil didn't make her buy that dress. But certainly it is a reminder for us to realize, indeed, there are things in life that Satan tempts us with. But he cannot make us do anything that we do not go ahead and allow ourselves to do. His temptation is there. He wants to see us fail. He wants to bring us struggle. He wants to see us challenged. But as far as the action is concerned, sorry, the bad news is you are responsible for the decisions you make. And that's bad news for me too. But it just challenges us to say we have to take on responsibility for ourselves. Today we're going to be not focusing on the devil... Because he doesn't deserve our time. We're going to be focusing on Christ. Because Christ does deserve our time. Uh, We've noticed in worship a few weeks ago, or over these past few weeks, that the Old Testament very much focused worship toward the grace of God and the way that God worked in the lives of people we've noticed that the New Testament focus is very much on Jesus. Today, our focus is on Jesus. In our day, the form of uh, content within worship services vary greatly. But as long as Jesus is at the center of what we do, I think we're pretty safe. Uh, We have looked over these last few weeks uh, at the uniqueness of Christ through His uh, birth, then when he was a young man, and then even through his baptism. And today we're going to be picking up at the baptism point. One of the tricks with this particular reality is some people have concluded that once a person becomes baptized, life is good. Well, life is good because Jesus gave himself for us. But baptism does not guarantee all problems have now ceased. Uh, When baptism occurs, indeed, as we look at the model of Christ, remember, we're talking about discipleship and following Christ. We're saying we are Christians, followers of Christ. We have to realize that Christ, right after baptism in the Jordan River, right after it, he was taken up to be tested. Satan attacks quickly. As soon as we begin to think everything is safe and secure and okay, and I'm in good condition now, Satan will be knocking on your door. As soon as we go off to seminary, Brother Jake, I know you remember, there were challenges when you make a move to go off to seminary. Everybody tends to think, oh, going to seminary, now we're going to be holy. Uh, Not so. And temptations come there just like they do everywhere else. So I appreciated your testimony of of courage and strength in saying just simply follow God and you'll be okay. Because that is the truth. But the word okay doesn't necessarily mean comfortable, secure, safe, in the sense that no problems are coming. Because you have to realize the more we walk with God, the more Satan wants to ruin our testimony. And so we have to be honest as we look at that in knowing who we are. Matthew chapter 4, what we looked at a few moments ago. Challenges us quite a bit because we watch what Christ has done. But there's a question that I'd like for you to consider. What does this say to us about the dangers of us getting overly secure in our thinking? Overly comfortable? Overly trusting? Do, uh, why do you suppose that Jesus allowed himself to be put in that position? Now remember, Jesus had just been clarified as the Son of God. He had been baptized. Now, he didn't do... Jesus was certainly by no means a traditionalist. Jesus didn't go and spend his time with the Sanhedrin, where everyone would respect his position and give him all kinds of praise and everything for his wisdom and how intelligent he was and in a nice, orderly fashion. What Jesus dared to do was to go out and be baptized by a man wearing camel's uh, fur. I mean, John the Baptist was by no means a, 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 a big city boy. said he went to the wilderness. This is the guy that, the, that he chose to baptize him. And even John thought it was strange. John said, no, 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 no. It should be you baptizing me. And Jesus said, no, no, no. You're wrong. There's a purpose in this. So why would Jesus, having already proven he's a little radical... Go ahead and step into that position of being tempted. He could have avoided it. And yet he did not. We need to notice something very telling about the enemy, about Satan. Remember, he is a fallen angel. He knows what the good side is. He knows what God is like. He knows what other angels are like. Satan desires to have company in his misery and deception. He does not desire to remain alone. He has demons with him, and he has a desire to destroy and to pervert. Jesus, uh, you know, we have to recognize he was a brave soul. To successfully see Jesus become selfish, prideful, powerful, hungry. Anything like that would have meant Satan would have been successful. Those were the things that Satan was attempting to use to test and see who Satan, uh, see who Jesus was it, by Satan's perspective. We have to recognize that Satan is and was an evangelist. No, he was not an evangelist for following God. He was an evangelist for sin. He preached his sermon to Jesus. He tried every method possible. You know, we heard Brother Tony come last week. Now, I promise you, Brother Tony is an evangelist. I've worked with him many, many years. But his evangelism is to tell the good news of Christ. Satan is also evangelist. But he's doing just the opposite. His evangelism is focused on sin and evil. And he's good at it. He he presents it strongly. He presents it in a way that's very attractive. His argument for a better life is very common. He presents the joys of comfort, security, power, position, prestige, success, and many other things. Things that in our world we value. Our world values it. And when the whole world values it, we tend to fall in line pretty quickly. We talk about how we want to be successful in going to school in order that I can get this particular job. And somewhere, unlike what Brother Jacob was talking about, somewhere we, we sometimes set aside the question of the will of God in our life. We are so focused on becoming successful by the world standards that we forget to ask God what he wants to do with us. I personally never question whether or not there are enough people to be able to do ministry in the world. I believe there are. I believe there are ministers everywhere that are of, but, but but the question is are they available? The same thing has to do with funds and money. Do we have enough money? The answer is sure. The question is, do we give it to God to use? The question of time is there enough time to serve God? Yeah, there's enough time. The question is, do we value it enough to ask God whether He wants to use it and whether we're willing to give? As we look at Satan, he is an evangelist for sin. His arguments are very strong. We are in the middle of a battle, you and I. Whether we want to admit it or not, the battle is for the souls of men. The battle we know that Satan is serious about. You know, this is a kind of sermon that's a little strange because it's not one where I'm saying, let's all feel good at the end of the sermon. Basically, I'm looking at the Scripture and I'm seeing what Jesus went through, going through these temptations, And I'm trying to understand how it applies to me. Being comfortable and complacent is to the detriment of the true king. Satan wants that to be our goal. He wants us to find the goals of this world. You know, for me personally, I'm not a person who's very interested in pomp and ceremony. I've had struggles over the years. Somehow God has a great sense of humor. You know, he placed me in a situation where I came in contact with a good friend who told me early on in my ministry, he said, go ahead and put in the effort and get your doctor's degree because it will open many doors of ministry. You'll be able to teach in different places and go to different places and do things that will be significant for the kingdom of God. And I appreciate what my friend said. And so I kept plugging on and kept going on to school and getting on... But then the funny part from God was, God knows I really don't enjoy the the, the show, if you will. But then suddenly I found myself having to go and be a seminary graduation speaker. And you wear the little robe and the whole bit. And, you know, you you do your little little thing. And I thought, wow, God, you've got to think this is funny because you know I don't like this. But it opened up doors for ministry along the way. Part of the reason that I'm the way I am, I can remember coming and, you know, much like some of you who are sitting in the last five rows of the church or upstairs. I did that, too, when I was young. You know, I like to sit in the back. I'm a good back row Baptist. You know, in the beginning, God created back row Baptists and I was one of them. And um, I can remember sitting, though, one, one day when I was about 12 years old. In, a, in, the, in the church, and a little Mexican boy came into our church. He was dressed pretty loosely. Well, I grew up at First Baptist Church in Garland, Texas. Now, if you know anything about First Baptist Churches, they're kind of into that formal stuff. And I didn't quite get into it because it just wasn't who I was yet. But, I mean, I was just a little kid. But I can remember him coming in and sitting down. And a few minutes later, a deacon walking over to him. And then him walking out, and he took the, the little boy out. And I really struggled with it. I found out later that the, the deacon, probably in, in good intent, took him across the street to a, a Hispanic mission, a smaller church where they were using Spanish. Now, I don't know whether the little boy spoke Spanish or not, or whether he spoke English or not. But I just watched a little boy that was not dressed properly, whatever that meant. And it struck me that I never, ever wanted to judge anyone in that way. It was a good teaching moment for me, even as a child. If God took the time to create that boy... The boy is valuable. Whether or not he's got on fancy clothes or not. I've already told you what I thought thought about pomp and ceremony. I remember going to the Kuala Lumpur Chinese Baptist Church to preach a number of years ago. And I went in to preach and I love the people there. Marvelous people in that church. But I remember going to the church, and the first day that I got there, you know, the temperature in Kuala Lumpur at that point, about 38 degrees centigrade. And I walked there, and I thought, you know, I I had on, I think I was wearing a shirt with a tie. Well, their rule was, you have to have on a coat. So I walked there, and I thought, am I really going to be that cold in this service today? And I, I, but I didn't even have a coat because I wasn't from there. And I knew, hey, as big as I am, are you kidding? This is the end of the issue. No problem. I was wrong. There was one, They went into panic within the church. And they ran and they found another guy who was also big. And they got him to loan me or his coat so I could preach. And somehow, miraculously, when I was wearing that coat, I could speak. Without the coat, I'm sure I couldn't have spoken that day. They would have never understood my words or something. I don't know what it would have been. But I preached the day and afterward, the only thing I felt sorry for, we had several people who responded. It was a good service. God blessed. But I know that the only guy that, felt, that I felt sorry for was the owner of the coat because it was so sweaty. I mean, I had perspired something terrible in that coat because I didn't need the coat. It was 38 degrees outside. Pomp and ceremony. No, it wasn't required for me. I learned a long time ago doing training in China. If you're not flexible, you're going to be in real trouble. I've gotten into so many situations there where I was out out beyond my ability. When I look at Christ, Christ did not choose the Sanhedrin, the leadership of the churches, as his target for acceptability. Christ chose people... Who needed to know him? He went out amongst the common people and he made himself be salt and light. As we consider how Jesus managed the temptations brought to him by Satan, we need to remember Matthew 3:16 and 17. And the fact that the Holy Spirit had already come down on Christ. And He was a baptized individual presenting a model for us. And we remember it said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Would it were, every time anyone could be baptized, we would have that same kind of experience. See, when you're baptized, you're doing it out of obedience. You're saying, I want to give all that I can to, the God, to, to God. Not saying you've arrived, not saying you're perfect, but saying, I'm giving it all. Jesus modeled that. He said, I'm going to do this as a testimony. Depending only on your own power for serving God is a mistake. Jesus knew that. And it says in the scripture that for 40 days he was tempted. In Mark, it says it very clearly as it challenges us to say for 40 days the struggle went on. Then we move on and then we have to ask the question. When we face temptations and trials, do we ever become a bit overly optimistic? And why? Is it difficult for us to admit our failures, our struggles? In Matthew 4 verse 3, we begin to look at the three specific Temptations that were used against Christ. Now, as we say, there were 40 days of temptation already gone. He'd already lived through that much. And then we get down and he's tired. He's exhausted. He put himself in the situation and basically he said, I've got to do this. And he did that with Satan. But after 40 days, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 3, it says that, that indeed... The temptation that was presented, change these stones into bread. Forty days, yes, Jesus was hungry. It's time. I've lived through forty days. I'm ready to have something to eat. The temptation from Satan was to say, show off a little, get what you want for a change. Think of yourself. You know you're hungry. Do what you've got to do. What temptations do you have in your life? Are there ever things uh, things that uh, come to your way that you decide maybe it's something that uh, you ought to have? You know, it's amazing in life how many times we think we deserve certain things. We want something for ourselves. And we've already confused the difference between wanting and needing. And We don't like to talk about wants and needs. Everything is a need. Uh, I won't even start to go into the discussion of my three sons and how many things they need. Because we're constantly having to go through the issue with them over what is a want and what is a need. But that is what Satan reminded Jesus of. You need food. Give it a try. Go ahead. You, can make, you, have the, you have the authority. This physical need is legitimate. Let's do it. Matthew 4, verse 6. Another attempt at trying to get Jesus to show off a little. It says, If you are the Son of God, cast yourself down. For it is written, He shall give His angels charge concerning thee. In their hands they shall bear thee up. The point there being, again, it was a challenge to Christ's power. says, okay, the Scripture says some stuff about this. Now, show us your power. And Jesus was aware that Satan was basically coming at him saying, prove it, prove it, prove it. The answer, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Satan didn't fear holy places. You know, it's really funny to watch these movies that come out these days and we we have if they have a little cross on the wall or something, you know, uh, Satan's supposed to be fearful of the cross. Satan went everywhere. He went up on top of the temple in Jerusalem. Satan knows about God. The scripture, as it says in James, very, very clear. Satan and the demons, they, they fear, they tremble, but they know. Matthew 4, 9, the third approach. All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. And Jesus simply said at this point, get away. In other words, he had tried to tell Satan... You're not going to tempt me, and I'm not going to respond. You tried for 40 days. Now you've tried with these specific things, and the answer is no. This is dealing with the issue of idolatry and position. For Jesus, that was too much, too offensive to even consider continuing to waste his time with Satan. You know, when we think about idolatry and position... I think this particular one challenges people quite often the most. Whether it's going to school, getting degrees, whether it's your job, and whether your career track gets you at the level that makes people respect you, whether it's the salary number you receive. There are many things that can become idols in our lives. Things that make us make decisions that probably we shouldn't make. You know, for many, many people, you talk about, are you deciding to do this or to do this? I remember a number of years ago, I had a, a friend who was working in Southeast Asia. And I had been contacted about a, an administrative position to come and work in the Southeast Asian region. Jacob, has nothing to do with your decision. The, but this is my situation, a completely different one. And I listened and I thought, wow, sounds pretty good. The salary was good. The place was good. The lifestyle was good. The housing was good. Everything sounded just so nice. But you know, sometimes when we talk about going to seminary, and I'm sure Jacob, you and your wife both experienced this identical situation, we use the term oughtness. That's a strange word, probably made up. O-U-G-H-T-N-E-S-S. A sense of correctness, oughtness. Something I ought to do, I must do. When we go to seminary, it's a call from God, not just a decision to say, I'm going to go give this a shot. There is an awareness that this is a need that our world has and that God is touching my heart and massaging my heart and saying, I should give my time, should give my life, give my heart to encouraging and being uh, a minister. When we consider how we make our decisions in life, Christian decision-making is your challenge. Are you making decisions based on what the world tells you is right or wrong or good or bad? Or are you making them because God has said to you, at this time, in this place, this is where you will serve. And if you will serve here, I will bless you. Now, brothers and sisters, I want you to understand something very important. Pastors, ministers of any type are not the only one that have to deal with a call in their lives. If you have a job, a career that is different than ministry... Still, your everyday life experience can be given to God's service fully. Some of you, through your career, may end up doing more ministry than I will ever do. I've known teachers that have led so many people to know Jesus as Savior and Lord. And yet, they were technically just a teacher. But in fact, they were a minister teacher. I've known physicians the same way. If God has given you a sense of oughtness or direction to do a particular career, praise God for it, but do it to the glory of God. At the same time, if God ever touches your heart and says give yourself fully to full-time ministry, I would say the same thing. Do it and do it happily. Do it with joy. The idols in our world that can take control of us are so many. Power. Idols. The temptation was thrown. And according to what the Scripture says, Jesus also felt what it was like to be tempted. You know, the scripture says that Jesus was fully human and fully divine. Now, that's a little bit hard for my mind to put a to put a whole hand on and hold together how you can be fully this and fully that. But that is what our scripture teaches. So by saying that it means that Jesus understands. He knows what it's like when we're tempted. Temptation is not bad for us. How we respond to temptation can be very bad for us. To to be tempted is not even a surprise. But how we respond to the temptation is the challenge. We have to look each and every day at many things that come our direction. We must remember that to be tempted is not sinful. It's just our response toward it that's significant. The devil made me do it. No, I'm sorry. Flip Wilson's humor was great, but in fact, the devil doesn't make us do it. The decisions we make are based on our theology, based on our understanding of God, based on our relationship with God. Based on how we follow Christ daily as our Savior and our Lord. You know, I want to encourage you guys. Let let your daily Bible study be more than just knowledge attainment. Let your Bible study be something that says, this is the way I am to live. This is applicable to who I am, my values, my morals, my goals. Recognize that idolatry, power, prestige, safety, security, all the things that are around us love to grab hold of us. But in fact, if Jesus is Lord we will have a response toward those things and we can determine whether they're healthy or not healthy for us. The devil doesn't make us do it. The devil gives us the opportunity. And often we compromise. We lower our standards. We surrender. We make excuses for our behavior. We take the easy road. We allow the world and our environment to take control of us and our decisions. We place ourselves on the throne of our own lives. Have you, any of you ever seen the four spiritual laws? A little tiny booklet that introduces how you become a Christian. It says that all people have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It talks about the love of God and who God is. But in there, there's a little diagram that has a little chair. And on the chair, it either has you or it has a cross for Christ. Satan does not like to see the cross on that chair. His goal is to tempt us, to challenge us, to put an idol. And that idol is often ourselves. Our goals. Our focus. Yes. When you go your way outside of the will of God, we're already following a false leader. Following Jesus and walking with Him is our call to discipleship. You choose for yourself. There are no excuses in blaming the devil. I want to read a scripture. Ephesians 4, verse 17 to 24. It says, This I say therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of your mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness in their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness and with greediness. But you have not... So learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your formal conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in the true righteousness and holiness." Let's pray. Father God, we come to you today asking that you would mold us, that you would help us to face temptations that come our way daily, that we would recognize that temptations are normal and yet are possibly things that cause us great problems, uh, and, and still within all that can be done, not within our own wisdom and strength, but within the leadership of Christ, can we step away from those? And can we deny those temptations and we move forward because we are followers of Jesus? Father, we thank You for the model of Christ who dared to face the temptations that He knew were around Him. And still He stood strong. Father, help us to stand strong as we follow Jesus in every way as His disciples. In Jesus' name,
0: Amen.